toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love you are listening to be the love to awaken our souls we are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings We are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I am Stacy Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Ryan Rich. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey, and we would like to thank our Patreon supporters for allowing this weekly conscious conversation. We are so grateful for all the support we have received with monthly donations on Patreon, five-star written reviews on iTunes and Spotify, and the connection within our Awakening Souls Facebook community. We are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help. Please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. And if you like what you hear, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love. This episode is sponsored by Tom Palladino with Scalar Light. Sign up and receive your 30-day free Scalar Light healing at scalarlight.com. And you can listen to our interviews with Tom and the amazing benefits and healing potential in episodes 73, 78, 90, and 103. I've been personally receiving the Scalar Light energy daily and I've noticed the shifts in my energy, including chakra balancing with deeper sleep, energy clearing, and nutrient support. It's also a beautiful gift I have been able to provide for my family. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to begin to take a moment to invite you to get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy and breathing out anything you are ready to release in this now moment and take one more breath in through your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself and imagine breathing that light and love and send it back to all of humanity, remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to Our guest today is Ryan Geningo Rich, and he is the founder of Root Healing. He is a traditional Misoko Bwiti Iboga provider who was trained and empowered to lead retreats and also offer pre-initiations to men and women. 
His work with iboga includes traditional Bwiti iboga ceremonies, assisted detox, pre-initiations, iboga preparation, and integration counseling. Ryan is a lead provider at most of the root healing ceremonies and the detox program. Ryan also studies and practices Tantra, engaged Buddhism, and of course, Bwiti. In addition to his Bwiti Iboga work, Ryan is a meditation teacher, counselor, and mentor. Ryan loves to help people liberate themselves from their conditioning and their fear and actualize a more full, engaged life. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. So can you tell us about your journey and what has led you down this spiritual path? So my journey with the boga really started with uh, my mother. Uh, my mother had suffered from mental illness and bipolar disorder. And she eventually kind of fell up, like came, came in and out of uh, life and really uh, was really challenged um, because she was abused when she was younger. And then she eventually commits suicide. Um, which that kind of catapulted me into uh, the whole spiritual world, if you will. Uh, I immediately moved to Thailand and went all around Asia, kind of looking for answers, looking for uh, meaning in life and ways to uh, kind of heal myself. Um, and it wasn't until probably four years of being in Thailand when I finally came into contact with a boga and uh, it saved my life. It completely changed my life. And I'll explain what a boga is uh, for your listeners as, as well. But that being the topic of this conversation, it kind of showed me what I was doing to myself. It showed me all the ways in which I wasn't loving myself. And I love the name of your podcast. It showed me how to be the love, if you will, how to be me and really hold space for myself and, and heal myself, if you will. Um, but that first time that I did a boga, I did not do it the proper way. I did it on my own. And I didn't uh, do it with someone who was professionally trained and it didn't have the BT tradition with it. So I did fall back into uh, like kind of my way of dealing with all of my issues, which was drugs and alcohol. And uh, I fell back on that path. And it wasn't until I made the really smart decision to move to Medellin, Colombia as a drug addict <laughs> uh, and really hit rock bottom. And when I hit rock bottom there, it was very different. I came back to the United States and uh, began meditation. Loved the meditation at the beginning of this podcast, by the way. That's, that's a beautiful mm -hmm. way to start things. And actually, that's what really started my journey as well. Um, I did a whole year of like really working on myself, meditating, really got uh, into Buddhism and uh, Tantra and stuff that uh, you mentioned in the bio. And that helped get me to the point where I needed to be before I came back to a boga. And then when I came back to Aboga, I went uh, to Gabon and did it in the traditional way. And that changed everything for me. Being there with the Bwiti who've worked with this medicine for thousands of years and uh, the beautiful shaman who kind of guided me, reconnected me to my own soul, um, helped me to like see my past traumas and, and uh, my ancestors and introduced me to my ancestors. All of that stuff was so amazing and I couldn't do anything else after that. You know, like this, it was the most amazing experience. So I, I couldn't even imagine doing something else. So I, I eventually went in and started training to serve this medicine. 
Mm-hmm. And, well, what a uh, really powerful story that you have of coming from addictions of drug and other substances and not using the plant medicine in the in the traditional way and using not just that, but meditation uh, to help bring you to more of the self-awareness and the grief. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, the grief of going through, you know, your mom's suicide. I can't imagine how painful uh, that must have been. But what a what a powerful journey and story that you get to share with others. And I love that we get, I mean, obviously no one wishes those pain and struggles on mm-hmm. others, but I also think that from that can really come some beauty if you learned how to be the love. And um, so we're going to back up a little bit because I mentioned before we hit record, like I know basically nothing (laughs) and I know I'm not the only one. Uh, I know I'm not the only one. I'm familiar with some plant medicines, but I am not familiar with this African tradition of Wheatie. In fact, I even had to ask you how to to pronounce it and hopefully I'm Mm. still doing that okay. Um, (laughs) But give us some, some background on the plant for our listeners and myself. For sure. Yeah. And so it's it's traditionally the real pronunciation, although everyone says Buiti, it's Buete. So yeah, so the plant is, uh, it's known, it's the actual plant that a boga comes from is the Tabernantha boga shrub. And that's uh, basically found in Gabon, Congo, and Cameroon. But the actual, when we're saying a boga, we're talking about the inner root bark of the plant. Uh, that's what contains all the active alkaloids and the spirit of the medicine that heals people. And it's it couldn't be uh, more perfect. It's it's a root, and it what it does is it takes you to the root of your problems, the root of who you are, and mm-hmm. the truth of things. And the Buiti have been using it for thousands of years. They don't have uh, written history, so we don't know actually how long it is. Everything's passed down word of mouth, but uh, they say thousands of years, and I think it's even longer. I think it's probably the oldest plant medicine being used by people. And the original people who used it first are known as the babango, but they're also known as the pygmy, but that's a derogatory term. So they're uh, the babango people in Southern Gabon who first found the medicine and then shared it with other people. Well, thank you for sharing that. It sounds like it's just been a tradition that's been passed down for centuries and generations and generations and, and how healing it must be. Like, I love that imagery of getting to the root. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like it can really help a lot of people. I'm wondering, you know, just coming from the knowledge that I have with like, you know, helping people heal trauma and I've just seen the the power in this medicine, you know, iboga is one of one that I don't have a lot of experience with, but you know, I've seen in other plant medicines. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about maybe how this can really help us get to the root of you know, issues and heal some of these deep-seated traumas that so many people experience right now? Yeah, for sure. So so the way that the Buiti used it is when people are ready to come of age and to be a part of the tribe, they do what's called an initiation. And it's kind of a way to bring them into an adulthood. And then they will also use it if somebody kind of strays and, and needs to, you know, kind of come back to the community. And so the way that we use it um, is more similar to the second second way um, when people have trauma or are addicted to drugs usually you know it's a cycle that they're caught in you know trauma itself so 
you know, talk therapy and things like that will generally uh, reinforce that trauma almost uh, because the only way to really heal from that is to go back there, to relive it and to free yourself and see the truth of it. And that's exactly what a boga does. It will take you back to that, tr that root of that trauma, to that experience and take away the sting of it. So it's not like uh, as intense as it was when it, when it was actually happening. And then it'll show you the truth of that situation, which will set you free. Mm. Um, there is a process though. Uh, generally we do two ceremonies for our retreats. So that's our retreats are seven days and we do two ceremonies because the first one um, is more of like a clearing out, if you will. So it's like a physical and mental detox where a boga is removing anything that you've picked up throughout your life from like culture, society, your parents that isn't genuinely you. Mm. So it's just trying to get back to the root, the real person who you genuinely are and connect you to your soul. So it needs to kind of remove all the stuff that you picked up first. And then in the second ceremony, it's a much more spiritual experience usually where we will actually take people to meet their own soul. Hmm. So I'm curious, initially, when you were discussing your first like spiritual path, like what led you down this way, you said the first time that you used a boga it was not done in the traditional way. So I guess what, what did that look like or what experience was that? And how did, how did you know? And like, what would be your advice for individuals who are considering this type of ceremony, but don't want to be, go down the wrong path, so to speak. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't do what I did. <laughs> um, it's actually in Bwiti, we say you can't have Bwiti without a boga and a boga without Bwiti. And I believe that wholeheartedly now with my experience. So what I did was I, there's a lot, there's a lot of information online, most of it wrong, actually. Mm. Uh, so I did a ton of research online and um, actually in a weird synchronistic way, uh, found out that someone that I was working with, I was working as a teacher at the time. Uh, someone I was working with also had worked with at an Ibogaine clinic before. Mm. Uh, so I was able to have him come and just kind of sit with me like while I did it just as an extra safety measure. But also I took way too much now that I know how to do dosing and all of that stuff. Uh, it's insane how much I took and didn't even listen to Bwiti music, which is actually such an integral part of uh, the Iboga experience. So yeah, so I did everything wrong. And the best way to really try to, if you were looking to do it, to do it right, is to just make sure that uh, whoever you're working with does keep the Bwiti tradition with it because the tradition is created by Iboga itself, actually. So, uh, you know, originally, Bwiti, it's called the school of life, and Aboga is really like the teacher. Like, it showed them how to build their temples. It showed them how to make the music. It showed them how to do ceremony and lead ceremony. So when you keep it in that container of, of Bwiti, uh, you're almost guaranteeing, you know, like the medicine, every, the medicine's happy, which the medicine meaning Aboga uh, is happy, and you're almost guaranteeing a positive experience. Um, and you'll definitely get much deeper healing as well. No, that's, that's really good for me to know that there's dosing procedures that are important and to obviously mm -hmm. follow someone that follows the tradition. And in the whole experience seems like a ceremony. I've been in ceremonies for sure with the music. Um, can mm -hmm. you speak to a little bit more about the whole ceremony experience as well? Yeah, so the ceremonies in Gabon and at our retreat center are definitely different, although they follow the same format. Uh, so like we, we start off with the, the way that they've kind of passed down the tradition around a fire and at the fire, we will talk about Bwiti teachings and teach them the history of Aboga and the teachings. 
uh, and then also start serving them the medicine. And then once the uh, medicine has kicked in, we'll shift them over to what we call the temple space, which is where the ceremony kind of happens and they'll stay there until the morning and we'll be, you know, playing Bwiti music and doing different things to kind of help their experience. Uh, and at one point we will also do a psycho-spiritual journey, which is a Misoko Bwiti technique of kind of guiding someone uh, to meet their own soul. So kind of similar, is it similar yeah. to like a guided meditation? Is that how you would, I'm, I'm trying yeah, to give it a... like a conceptual picture in my mind here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it is kind of like a guided meditation in the sense that like, you know, like we are guiding them through it. And because if we weren't there to, you know, basically they write down questions and uh, we use those questions in the ceremony. We're not supposed to talk about it really, but um, those questions guide us and then we will guide them and get them the answers to those questions and reconnect them to their soul. Wow, that sounds really beautiful. And so as you're guiding them, I'm wondering too, like, well, one, how many people are in the ceremony space usually? And and how does that guiding work with everybody? Yeah, so our retreat center, we cap it at seven or eight people. Um, we've just seen that anything over that, I mean, we've done 12 to 15 before, and it was just a little too much because it does require a lot of care. So with a boga, it's a lot different than other plant medicines. It's very long. So like that temple time, they're in the temple until the morning, and then they even go back to their rooms. And that's when we're doing a lot of like really heavy counseling and kind of, that's almost like a meditation retreat also, because they're supposed mm -hmm. to sit with themselves and be with themselves and whatever comes up. So there's a lot of that as well, which is, which is, it's, it's very hands-on. And we're basically from the start of the retreat to the end of the retreat, there with them, you know, constantly counseling and kind of making sure that they hit the mark. Hmm. pointing them back at, at what they came for their intentions and their questions and stuff like that and back at themselves hmm. making sure they're not distracted okay. so in these ceremonies especially in that that after time period where they're sitting with themselves like what are, what are some of the things that come up or what is what is released I'm just curious oh that's a great question actually so that to me is the most important part of the whole retreat and they have two of those we call it processing day and what happened is everything that came, like everything in the ceremony, it's kind of like a bomb went off inside of them. And like everything that they've been storing, like emotional trauma, uh, unexpressed anything in their body comes to the surface. And it's not as intense. It's not like they're feeling it all at once, but they are very emotional and they do have to feel that stuff on the way out. So it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like everything's being released and the best thing that they can do is is to relax and kind of allow that process to happen and that's really what our counseling comes down to it's kind of redirecting them to that place of kind of like you don't have to do much just relax but then also what happens on that day is a lot of insights and epiphanies come up about their lives and they'll realize like really deep important like realizations about themselves that they'll carry with them for the rest of their lives it's 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 the, it's the most important part of the ceremony. And that's why we, like, we really put an emphasis on making sure that they don't distract themselves. We take their phones and sometimes they'll come out and they want to talk to like the other guests and stuff. And we try to re reorient them back to the room because it can be challenging, but if they get through that, it's so great. 
Absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, when you're going through a journey like that with plant medicine, it's really important to stay focused inward, you know, I think because we have so many distractions in our world, you know, that can really take away from the experience. And mm. so, yeah, so, you know, going inward and I'm wondering also, you know, as far as like integration goes, how how do people start the integration process once they have had an experience? Oh, great. And I love that you said inward because that's actually what differentiates a boga from other plant medicines. Um, it's like, it's just a hundred percent grounding you deeper and deeper into yourself. So mm. it's, oh, it's instead of like showing you visions and taking you outside to kind of get messages, it's pointing everything to you because you have all the answers. Mm -hmm. uh, integration, though, is also incredibly important. And that's, um, that's because actually aboga has like a really high neuroplasticity and, and uh, neurogenesis. So anything that they do after they leave the aboga ceremony, they kind of got a reset and they have now have the opportunity to like rewire their brains and restructure their lives. They can create a beautiful foundation that becomes their default way of thinking and being if they do the right thing at the really the first two weeks even is so important. Mm. Um, so that's so the, so basically what we do is we have a closing ceremony and then we give them like an integration packet and there's like a link on there to schedule the calls and stuff and we usually have try to have like at least two calls in the first month and then uh, kind of check in with them very regularly mm -hmm. and all and actually aboga also stays with them and helps them. So the aboga will stay with you for up to six months. And how does it stay with you? It's, it's more like uh, kind of like how we grounded ourselves at the beginning of this podcast. It's, it's like a mindfulness, like a space between choices. So, you know, say they're about to repeat an, an unhealthy pattern or, you know, they have a really important choice in their life, a boga will reappear and kind of give them the space and remind them and so that they can make the right choice. So it kind of gives you training wheels when you go home. And then it's our job to just kind of help them to do what they wanted to do when they left. I love that. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I can only relate it to my ayahuasca experiences, um, but those have been pretty profound. But it is the the spirit of the medicine has, you know, continued to stay with me after mm. the ceremony. You know, Mama Aya is like there and I'll remember like a vision or a, a thought or something, a, you know, teaching that she had for me in a moment or something will manifest, you know, in, in a way that I wasn't expecting that came from something that she had shown me and so the medicine it's it's really yeah once you start to work with that medicine it really does become a big part of you know what's happening for you on the outside as well as the inside it's pretty for amazing sure. it's beautiful and it's I love it too because it's it's embodied so you're not you know you can have this experience and it's not just an experience. I mean, integration, I mean, of course, it could just be an experience, but an integration mm -hmm. is so important. But the messages that, you know, for, for myself, and I, I know people that I've talked with as well, I mean, it just becomes embodied. So it's in part of your cellular structure now, you know, whereas before you might cognitively you know, have been working on something for years, but then when you work with it in a, with plant medicine, it becomes you. And it's like, all of a sudden you've shifted out of that pattern that you've, or that, you know, you've seen things in such a different perspective that you couldn't have seen otherwise. 
Yeah, for sure. It's like transforming those things, you know, and that's uh, my background in Tantra and stuff like that. That's obviously our approach to um, kind of spirituality, but um, a boga will show you the truth of that thing. And then it will like, once you've realized that it becomes like an attribute, it becomes like a beautiful thing for you to share with the world and kind of like a badge of honor, if you will, and, and something that promotes you and helps you in your life. Um, so it, it's these negative things that have like controlled us and, and kept us locked down for so long, eventually become the thing that sets us the most free. So interesting. I'm, I'm curious what, um, either, cause you mentioned in your bio about, um, a detox program. Um, mm. so I'm assuming that your ceremonies help individuals with detoxing from, I'm, I'm assuming drugs and alcohol and like what other what other ways can the ceremony benefit someone if they're coming in with whether it's physical trauma or emotional trauma? I'm just kind of curious, like, what are the people that would be looking for this type of ceremony and treatment? Oh, good question, because it's it's actually two totally different programs. Uh, the psycho-spiritual program, uh, which is our seven-day two-retreat thing that I've been, really been talking about, that's for people with trauma. That's for people who have, like, emotional and spiritual healing, sometimes physical healing as well that they want to do. The detox program is a, is a whole different animal. That's for people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, uh, certain drugs, because some are not safe uh, with the boga. And uh, there are definitely a lot of contraindicating medications, so people should be aware of that. But that program, basically what we do is we could have someone show up, like say they're addicted to heroin, they show up and we just need to know what their withdrawal window is. So how long until they start feeling withdrawals if they don't take it. And then we have to just make sure we start giving them the medicine, a boga, a boga TA is what we use before that kicks in. And then we'll actually detox them completely without withdrawal symptoms. So they won't have any withdrawal symptoms. They'll have the effects of a boga, which is a whole nother thing. But uh, they come out of that at the end and they're just amazed because mm. they, they, you can like see it leave actually when, when you're working with them. And that's like three days of two to three days of, of just being with them, you know, giving them medicine and just kind of going to war really with the, with the spirit of heroin. Wow. And then once that's gone, they stay with us for two weeks to a month afterwards and do multiple other ceremonies and counseling just to make sure that we kind of lock in better behavior patterns before they go home. Hmm. Wow. I'm just curious too. That makes me think about just uh, the opiate epidemic that we have, you know, hmm. at least in the Western culture or the United States. And I'm sure it's beyond that. But I'm just wondering, like, what, you know, as far as like opiate prescriptions be similar to that of uh, like withdrawal from heroin? Uh, yeah, yeah. Opiate prescriptions for sure. Uh, actually, for us, like we, it's harder for us to work with people that are on like methadone or Suboxone or something like that, that actually is more challenging than if they were just on heroin. But there are, you know, there's people that most of the Ibogaine clinics, which is like the single extracted alkaloid, there, there's even like publicly traded companies in the US now that are like working with Ibogaine because they see the amazing potential but for us, we believe in like the power of the actual plant. And I think it's a perfect mm -hmm. medicine already and it doesn't need to be changed. And actually some of the other alkaloids also have anti-addictive properties that have been proven also by science. So um, it's weird that they just picked that one. Mm -hmm. But for the opiate epidemic, there's definitely people in the US and other places that are trying to use Ibogaine Canada, uh, use Ibogaine to treat that. But yeah, I would just say that a boga is much better. And we work with a boga TA, which is like the all of the alkaloids found in a boga, but kind of like a 
extracted version. Mm. Wow, that's uh, really promising. I mean, I, you know, I do think that it's, um, I agree, I love the plant rather than the extract, but if it sounds like the extract um, might also be proving some benefits where people can at least maybe access some of that medicine you know, locally sure. um, in, you know, the United States and, you know, maybe in other parts of the world as well, if they're, you know, having that there as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the Buiti and the culture of the Buiti, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, just, you know, what is the belief systems? What are some of the practices that they have that you could share with us? Yeah, the Buiti, it's like, they're, they're very simple. They live very simple lives. Um, because like the, one of the first teachings of Buiti is the, is the connection to nature. And they say that they were told uh, by nature itself to use it and don't abuse it. And if you abuse it, you'll have misery. And so they see the disconnect from nature from the very start as, as the root cause of, of misery. And of course, we're also a part of nature, right? So they see their relationship to their own mind, their relationship to themselves within that context. So this, this idea of like how a boga brings you back to your true self, Buiti, it's just about just be is what they say, just genuinely be yourself. And they all do that. And when you go there, you can see it. And it's like, they're all just like a beautiful expression of themselves and they have a beautiful community and they have everything they need right there. So it's a little easier for them. Like, you know, you can grab a papaya out of the tree or go grab, you know, they, they don't even hunt, they set traps. Mm. <laughs> so they can just go check their traps. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's a very simple life, but they are the happiest people that, uh, you know, you'll ever see. And that's because they're just, like you said, so grounded, directly connected in the present moment all the time. Mm. And that's that's a strong teaching of theirs as well as like the danger of the mind and its ability to take us out of that, that present moment and that direct connection to nature mm. in the world. I love that connected to nature teaching. And it it's true, the more domesticated our society has become the disconnect and we start thinking of ourselves as separate from the elements of earth and water. Mm. And you mentioned like that you do a fire ceremony as well, correct? Mm. Within the yes. ceremony. Is, there, is that, I'm assuming that's also like the connection with nature that you bring into the ceremony? Yes, for sure. And actually there's this really awesome ceremony that they do. It's where they'll, you know, people will take lower amounts of a boga. It's not the same thing as like the ones where people lay down. And uh, they dance with torches and like, it's the most beautiful thing. And they have this one dance where they actually paint the universe with the sparks from the torch. So yeah, so the, the fire is actually a very important spirit to them as well. Um, but, the, but really what the point of those ceremonies is, is to bring all of the spirits out, you know, and they believe every plant and animal has a spirit of its own. That's beautiful. And I'm, yeah, curious too, just about, you know, just the, with the work that you're doing and it sounds like they're very much a part of your ceremonies. Is that Are what you I'm saying hearing? Buiti or spirits? Yeah, Buiti. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Buiti is at the front of everything that we do. Yeah. So uh, that's what, that's what kind of like we're focused on from the second we start talking to people until the, you know, until the integration period, um, because the Buiti teachings themselves, um, actually heal people so just that alone and actually sometimes the fire ceremony is enough to just like get for something to click for someone mm -hmm. um so Buiti I mean honestly like uh I can't even imagine doing this work without Buiti like uh that's what makes the 
ceremonies here work so well. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what really heals people is this mm -hmm. beautiful tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I know I've been to uh, many ayahuasca ceremonies and it's, you know, certainly not the same without, you know, the music and the, you know, like we were talking about, you know, and having all those pieces, the teachings, you know, where the plant spirit comes from. And, mm -hmm. and it just makes me, you know, also want to ask too, like, I'd love to hear about your uh, reciprocity initiatives and giving back to the Buiti and, and what that looks like. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we're directly connected with the village there. Um, and just me personally, I uh, volunteer my time helping them to organize their retreats because I have a background in operations. Uh, so I kind of help them to kind of organize that side of things and with things like that, like internet, uh, you know, websites. And then also uh, we have a nonprofit that I'm kind of partnered with them on that I just help out. It's called Bains Badimbu. And basically right now they're putting water in, or I think the water is finished and they got electricity. Then they're going to eventually build a school, a school that's not, you know, in, it's a, a Buiti school because a lot of the schools there are kind of French influenced and have that Christian background. Um, so, yeah, so it'll be like kind of like a, a traditional school there. Oh, that's exciting to see a community grow and yeah, have clean water and electricity. That's beautiful. So is, is this part of the root healing, the um, ceremony that you work for that contributes to this nonprofit organization? Is that how that works? No, I mean, it's, it's me. I work there. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm just helping. Uh, yeah, I'm helping out and it's, I'm the owner of root healing. So uh, yeah, so that, that's like how we can help. Outside of that, we do give like financial benefits as well. Um, and all of our medicine comes from there, which is very important for them and us as well. Thanks. I was a little confused on like, what, yeah. what was the um, connection there? But thank you for clarifying that. And what are the standards, since we're mentioning root healings, what are the standards of care um, that you provide there? Yeah, so we're, aboga can be dangerous if it's not taken correctly. It does have cardio effects so it will if you have a like prolonged QT, qt interval with your heart that can be dangerous and then there's also a lot of contraindicating medications so basically medications that are dangerous to take at the same time or to be coming off of before you take it so at the beginning of our process we have a very thorough intake uh where we have a nurse on staff and she's like kind of like the head of the medical team she's also trained as a provider and we will review, we'll have them complete a health questionnaire and review everything, get EKGs of their heart, uh, liver panel tests, and just really make sure that they're good to go. And the other thing we're kind of screening for is to make sure that they actually want to heal. Because if people aren't ready for a BOGA, it's not going to work for them. So we just want to make mm -hmm. sure that the timing's right and they're actually in this to heal. Um, so that, that also is actually a huge part of the standards of care. Because if you get, it doesn't matter how down and out somebody is, if they want to heal with a boga, it's beautiful and it will go great. Uh, mm -hmm. And assuming that they, they're healthy and ready, ready for it. Mm -hmm. So the standards of care is that. And then also just uh, the nurse stays, th stays throughout the retreat. And for detoxes, obviously, there's a much higher level uh, standard of care just because of the risks involved as well. Um, so we will also like literally take the second they arrive, take their bags and put them into a different room where they'll be searched uh, and then drug test them to make sure that they're not on any of the other contraindicating drugs and, uh, yeah, get started right away. Thank you. So it's a little I, different for both. 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, just working with the plant medicines and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, um, yeah, concerns that can, you know, come up, you know, with needing to make sure everything is in place and medications and stuff. So, and then I'm, I'm curious if you have any stories that you would like to share about just some of the people that have come through and have, you know, healed from certain things that um, stand out to you. Uh, actually, I can tell you one from the last retreat. Uh, <laughs> uh, this awesome guy from Israel came and uh, and he was, he was you purge obviously sometimes with the boga. It's like 50-50, not everyone does, but he was unable to throw up, but like really had to. And that's normal, right? So we'll sometimes tell people to drink water, but his became serious and it got so serious that he like was even pounding himself on the chest, like getting like really amped up. And what happened was, um, the way he explained it was that there had been this like almost like ancient curse lock thing in his stomach that uh, he was able to see went back generations and generations. And I know this stuff sounds crazy, but uh, mm. it's it's real. And he built up the courage and strength, and then like finally threw up. Mm. And like it was like the most crazy uh, experience ever. He literally got up and hugged both of us, like uh, me and the other lead provider, like bawling his eyes out crying and just saying thank you I feel like it's all gone and he, he did a beautiful testimonial for us but he he's like amped on life now and he realized mm -hmm. that this thing that he had been carrying you know and, and this is a big thing with the boga too sometimes we have like intergenerational you know ancestral trauma and stuff like that that gets passed down and a boga goes to war with that stuff and just really uh helps you to uh free yourself and so he he was so incredibly free and, and we've, you know, we've had, uh, I've mentioned this on another podcast, but we've had a woman who was of German descent and uh, had a high ranking Nazi in her family. And she was able to uh, clear all of that. And, and she felt, she said she was going to write a book at the end of that called puking up world war two. Cause wow. she, she like really cleared that all out. So like, it's not just your own healing with the boga. It's also like healing the line, like, you know, everything that your ancestors that came before you and like creating, you know, breaking that chain so that you can create a new lineage of, of happiness. Wow. wow. I'm just curious too, like how did Iboga um, become discovered? Is, is there, I know you said it's been passed down and there's no like real written history about that. Um, but I'm just curious, like, like I know ayahuasca, there was a vision to put these mm. two plants together. And so I'm just curious if there was anything like that, that uh, was passed down that you know about. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are going to love this. It's, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, so it was, it, basically like i said they set traps and we go into much detailed more detailed story at the fire but uh one guy was checking his traps found a porcupine brought it back and then passed out drunk and his wife cooked it up and ate it and then she was the first person to experience a boga so she felt all the effects and had a crazy experience went and told all the people and uh and eventually the chief of the village and the chief of the village um, was trying to figure out how it could have, what it could have been. And they were able to figure out, go to the trap where the porcupine was and saw the roots dug up. But in order to find out if it was real, someone had to take it. And mm. of course the chief was too afraid to take it. So he asked his wife to take it. So it was actually <laughs> two women, <laughs> two women uh, who first took a boga. And that's why it's almost like a matriarchal tradition. Like uh, mm. women are very highly revered in Bwiti. 
And uh, yeah, so it started with two awesome women and she was the one who, the second woman, the chief's wife, who made that connection with Aboga and Aboga told her, I've seen you guys trying to answer questions going all around and uh, you know, kind of studying life to find out answers. Just eat me and I'll give you answers to all of your questions. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of like at the root of what we do. Like I said, we write down questions, they get answers. Ah, uh, so interesting that that's how the inquiry process began. And I, I'm just saying, starts with women, you know. Sure. <laughs> just just going to point that out because the, yeah, because the chief couldn't handle it. So he had to ask the woman. <laughs> yeah, and the first husband passed our truck. So yeah, thank you. we're always grateful. We, we could learn a lot from them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, the women in, in Gabon, the Buti women are so strong too. They're the really? ones who really handle stuff. Yeah. And uh, the village I come from, the chief of the village is, is also a woman. That's interesting. Can you talk more a little bit about that culturally? Because I think that's I think that's an important piece when we see a strong mm-hmm. feminine presence and the effect on the families and the cultures there. What what is sort of your perspective? of having a very matriarchal culture and society? Uh, I think it's beautiful because, I mean, really both are being, uh, you know, celebrated, you know what I mean? Right. It's not like they're, they're like bowing down to the women every day, but they they are in their actions. And I think that the, you know, the women are the ones who bring the life into the world, you know what I mean? And they're the ones who really care and uh, raise the kids. Um, and the men, men obviously are taking part in that, but it's like the nurturing mother, um, that you really needs to be them to cover that side of things. So um, it's a beautiful like expression, like just, you know, they let the kids kind of, it's like a different way of raising kids. Like it's not as hands-on as us. Like the kids are allowed to kind of make mistakes and bump into things and get hurt. Um, but it's the, the end product is so beautiful. I mean, everybody uh, is empowered and all they want is for everyone to be like the truest expression of themselves. Uh, and 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 also just in ceremony, the women uh, like their dance and like the way that they when they're so they take turns like you know women there's women songs where they'll be leading and then the men will also be leading and yeah it's just it's so much more beautiful actually the way that they sing and and dance and there's actually a dance with like with a knife it looks like they have a knife that's really cool but yeah I mean really at the end of the day it's it's like an actual expression of like being a tribe you know what I mean like they. They all support each other. Everyone's involved in raising each kid. Everybody uh, sees, they see one, one individual problem as everybody's problem that needs to mm. be resolved. So mm. it's just, it's beautiful to see community like that growing up in the West, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Recognizing too, that it really does take a village and that, you know, we mm. can all, we can all can come together and, and help raise our children or share, share in meals and you know, just be together. It's not, you know, just our problem, but, you know, because I think that in the Western culture, at least it's, you know, we have a tendency to stuff everything and and we have shame around, okay, this is something that is coming up, you know, and and I don't want to share it because I think I'm all alone. And that's, you know, kind of the mentality that happens. And so then when we start having conversations and we recognize it's not just me, right? And so I think that can minimize or, you know, release a lot of the shame that people Mm. feel when we really connect as a community and support each other in a, you know, beautiful way. For sure. And that's what life's all about. Yeah, yeah the and connection. I, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, that balance of that masculine, feminine, but, you know, the feminine, which I think, you know, on a whole other topic, but the, I feel like the feminine is rising in this mm. world, you know, and totally. so it's beautiful to see that. And I love just having these conversations, which makes me just also want to ask Iboga, you know, is it considered a, a feminine or masculine plant? Oh, great question. So a lot of people get that wrong. So uh, if you ask like some people online, if you Google it or whatever, they'll say a boga is the godfather. And it is true. It's the godfather of all plant medicines, according to Buiti. But it can be a male or female, feminine and masculine spirit. Mm. Uh, it actually adapts to whatever the person needs. It's like highly intelligent. It knows exactly mm. what each person needs. And it actually, the experiences are very unique as well. Um, so yeah, so it's not bound to like one, you could have like the nurturing mother experience, kind of like ayahuasca with the boga, or you could have the stern grandfather, stern father experience, mm. but it's always right. It's always exactly what that person needs. And as long as they trust that process and trust the boga, then, it, then it'll work out great. But yeah, so it's, it's not a, it's not one particular sex. Hmm. That's really interesting that it adapts to what the person truly needs. So thank you for sharing that. That was an interesting perspective because you're right. People have different experiences with, it might be the same medicine, whatever that might be, but it comes out in different ways, depending on where that person needs healing. Oh, for sure. And we have six senses and, and actually people always focus on the visions. And like, so like the third eye, you know, uh, which would just be one of the six senses, according to PT, mm -hmm. um, but it expresses itself through all of them. And it's trying to, work with you in the way that you'll best understand. I love that, you know, because I think it's um, easy to go in and have these expectations, but it sounds like it really mm. works with you, what you're needing at that time in your life. Totally. Well, as we wrap up, thank you so much, Ryan, for sharing your experiences and um, educating me. I learned a lot uh, in this <laughs> episode. I'm so grateful to you. And Please tell our listeners where they can find you and anything you're currently working on. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, they, our website, www.rootyealing.com, um, that has all the information about our psycho-spiritual retreats and detox retreats. Um, and so, yeah, you can reach us on there at info at Root Healing uh, if, if you're interested in booking. And if you wanted to ask me a direct question, it's just genigo at rootyealing.com. Beautiful. And we will absolutely add those uh, all those links to our show notes so people can easily cool. find you. And um, yeah, I'm, I was just thinking, I wonder if uh, Portugal might be in my future in the near, <laughs> near, near time. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, definitely so, come, come see us. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so Ryan, thank you so much for being here with us today and having this beautiful conscious conversation. And thank you for listening to Be The Love Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes, or liking us on Facebook. And please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with special guest interviews and speak the love conscious conversations with your co-hosts, myself and Brenda. A monthly donation of $2.22 or $5.55 really helps us with the operating costs of this podcast so we can continue to spread the love. To contribute, please visit our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast. And stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays and Thursdays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Time. 
Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining. <laughs>